the things we all carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 81 of The Things We All Carry. Gandhi said that the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Jess Rambo is a creative force behind the painted buffalo. She's a Marine Corps veteran who has taken her artistic skill and passion and applied it to the veterans community. Her love of art and love for veterans meets in the middle to create opportunities for vets to tell their stories. It doesn't matter if the stories are ever heard by anyone else. It simply matters that they are able to express themselves. Jess hit the road at the beginning of COVID in a school bus she renovated for her family to live in. Along the way, they hit 38 states, 30 national parks, and over 300 meetups for veterans, all the while meeting over 1,200 individual veterans. Her paint can project provides veterans with socks, water bottles, shirts, and art supplies meant to encourage them to open up, begin a journey, and tell their story. Today, Jess and her children called North Georgia home. She has an even larger and more grandiose vision of what her service can become. She is creating a homestead for her family, her animals, and the veterans to commune, create, and connect. Jess has lost herself in the service of others, and we all benefit from the self she's finding anew. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. All right, perfect. All right. Well, welcome back to the things we all carry. Today I have Jess Rambo and she is the painted buffalo and you can find her on Instagram. Um, that's, well, that's where I found her and she's got a pretty interesting story. Um, she's doing a lot for veterans and I'm going to kind of let her get into that, but I want to ask her about, uh, first I want to ask her about a song. What's the last song you heard? The last song, um, I'm editing a YouTube video right now, and my cousin Travis is a musician, and my intro is his song called The Great Divide, and uh, it talks about a lot of the stuff that I've gone through in my career, and he as well. So The Great Divide by Travis Shallow. Perfect. You get a shout out for him, too. That's perfect. How are you, how are you, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm great. I broke my favorite coffee mug, but so far, so good. <laughs> okay. And a little word of warning to anybody watching the video or or maybe if the audio breaks up as well, we're both on kind of spotty internet right now. So we're going to make the best of it. So bear with us. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a pretty large military family. Um, that's where this whole story kind of starts. My mom was in the she did six years in the Navy and 14 years in the Coast Guard. So my entire life, um, and she has five brothers and all of them served in the military. My two favorite uncles, Tom and Jim, were both Marines and they were during Vietnam and they had the coolest war stories and all of that kind of stuff. So when I was growing up, I was like, I'm going to be a Marine. I'm going to do the cool stuff nobody really told me you're a girl and you don't really get to do those cool things 
Um, but over time and all of that, you kind of, you know, start to realize that. So the year my mom retired from the military, I joined the Marine Corps on a whim. I just walked into the recruiter's office of the Marines and said, I want to join the Marine Corps and signed my life away right there. Was that right after high school? Yep. So it was, I guess, about the year after I graduated, I did two semesters, a promise to my mom uh, to try college. I told her she was wasting her money. Um, and so the second semester, the last day I, I left and, and joined the Marine Corps. And you go to Paris Island? All female Marines. Now they've changed it. Okay. Um, but in 2006... And before all of that, all female Marines went to Paris Island. Okay. Yeah. I, that Marine Corps is something that I've, I know from a periphery, but I don't, I was in the army, so I don't know as much about the Marine Corps as maybe I should. So that's, that's good to know. I know that when I was in the army, I, I trained, my basic training was at Fort Bliss and it was all males just because of the setting. And I know, I mean, that's changed a lot because of, I don't even think they do basic at Fort Bliss anymore. So I think they've narrowed it down to a few spots only. And kind of know of the Marine Corps bubble, I hear here and there, I'll read articles and stuff. But now I think boot camp for the Marines is integrated, but it's a trial and error. And the Marine Commandant and all of that really fought hard not to become integrated. But all other branches of services are. So, um, you know, eventually we followed in line as well. It makes sense. I mean, you're going to serve together, right? Yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons with everything, but that is the one pro that I have told people when they talk about that is if you're not training as you fight, then, you know, a lot of these issues are going to come up, um, you know, especially with sexual assaults and harassment and all of those kinds of things that, you know, people are starting to talk about more openly. Um, though That is a problem, but no matter if you're training, you know, together or not, those things happen, unfortunately. Yeah, very true. And, and um, yeah, like you said, very unfortunate. Uh, so tell me about your Marine Corps journey. Yeah. How, did, how, how does that progress for you? So in 2006, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I went to Paris Island and trained there. And I signed a media contract before I left. So I could have been combat camera or public affairs. Um, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do in the military before I even got there, especially from being, you know, a big military family. You know, I hear a lot of, well, I didn't even know that existed or I didn't know you could pick your MOS or those kinds of things. And thankfully, I had the the background and the privilege to be able to not go in so blind. Um, the military as a whole is, you know, that way, but the Marine Corps as a whole other beast. So sometimes that, you know, people will be like, well, in the army or in the Coast Guard, like or something like that, this is how we did it. And, you know, talking to her, I'd be like, yeah, I know that is what is written down in the rule book, but that's not what's happening here, you know, and those kinds of differences and stuff. So I joined the Marine Corps um, in 2006 and I was a combat cameraman. So I went in as a basic lithographer. So in your training books, you have those doodles and, you know, weapon systems broken down and all of that kind of stuff. That was my job is to draw those doodles and um, kind of make visual representation of the, you know, green knowledge books and all of that kind of stuff. And when I got to my first duty station, 
Marfor Pack, which is in Hawaii, they were like, yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> so very quickly, I was out of, you know, my basic job and had to learn graphics and photo and video and become an all-around uh, combat cameraman. And in that way, I was able to go overseas and all of that kind of stuff because there's not very many graphic Marines that get to go off and do fun worldly adventures unless imagine. you have a photo or a video camera with you. So I very quickly learned that to go overseas and to do the job I wanted to do, you needed a camera in your hand. So quickly learned that and um, became efficient. So that's what I did for 10 years. Um, I was a combat cameraman. In 2010, I got in a really bad car accident and I broke my pelvis and had a couple hip surgeries and stuff like that. And and fought the command about staying in, but eventually I got medically separated from my injuries. Um, and all of that comes with, you know, an opiate addiction and and coping mechanisms that they don't really teach you and all of that kind of stuff. And that's, although the Marine Corps and my time in the Marine Corps is a huge part of my story, my story on social media started during my detox and getting clean and you know, the transition um, back into being a, a human being again. So let's, I, I want to circle back, though, because you mentioned you don't get to go do the fun stuff unless you have a camera in your hand. Yes. So <laughs> what did you get? What did you, quote unquote, get to do? Where did you where did you head off to? Yeah, so Marfort Pack um, is a joint command and they are in charge of all of the Pacific West. So everything from Asia, Australia. California, Yuma, all of that, that was our kind of stomping ground. And so as a combat cameraman, you know, if somebody's getting deployed or an exercise is happening, you get a photo and a video Marine tagging along, documenting exactly what's happening, whether it's in the Middle East or, you know, training exercises, say Balakatan or Talisman Sabre in Australia or things like that. So I did a lot of joint um documentation um, in Thailand, the Philippines, Japan, Korea, Mongolia, Nepal, Australia, and all of those kinds of things, whether it was med caps and end caps, building buildings or helping orphanages or doing medical treatment or providing USAID during nat national disasters and that kind of stuff. So all of that kind of documentation, all the stuff that you don't really see on the news the Marines are doing, that's what I was documenting and it was during a time obviously during uh oif oef so you know when nepal's you know tornado or uh earthquakes and all that kind of stuff that wasn't really making national news but the marines were in there first to fight and providing usaid yeah so that i mean that's you think combat photographer you don't think all the uh, other extra stuff because you you have this vision of a combat photographer right there in the trenches, so to speak, but it's, it's, it's so much more than that. And, and I, I guess the things that you've seen and done just, just run the, the spectrum. I mean, it's everything from promotion ceremonies to ISO prep photos, you know, the photos you get, you know, don't smile. This is the photo mm -hmm. we're showing on the news. If you die kind of stuff like that. And then, you know, combat, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, just gripping grins, you know, the commandants visiting your base, those kinds of things, all the way to, you know, Marines volunteering at orphanages or rebuilding bridges, you know, 
during disasters or providing U.S. aid or just having allies, you know, with integration of troops and non-lethal weapons training and the kind of stuff and and that counterpart, um, you know, you see, you know, other countries providing aid during, you know, combat conflict and stuff. But before that happens, there's training to figure out weapon systems and how do you, you know, uh, you know, provide that ally system once you get there and you have to do all the training beforehand. So there's a lot of prep and steps and all that before you get, you know, to there. And that's what I was documenting. So you said your accident happens in 2010. 2010. Yep. So do you mind kind of describing what happened and in, in, in the situation? <clears throat> yep. So I was in garrison back home going to barracks duty on I-95 and I, my car got sideswiped by an 18 wheeler. I rolled my car 450 feet across I-95 heading to base Guanaco. And at the time, um, when I, you know, I got put in an ambulance, all that kind of stuff, got all the tests and they said, Oh, I don't know what happened, but you got Marine force. You're fine. And I went about, you know, my time over the time, um, come to find out I had small little fractures and little tears and tendons and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the rigorous of Marine Corps, you know, PT and all that kind of stuff. I was still maintaining, you know, top notch, uh, PT standards and that kind of stuff. And over time things started breaking and I kept going to medical and saying, you know, there's something wrong with me and eventually being deemed, I don't know if the army has this, like being deemed a malingerer where you're just making up that you're hurt so that you don't have to train. And, and I wasn't that kind of person, but because I was like, no, there's something seriously wrong with me and leadership wasn't really taking it seriously. Eventually I tore both of my labrium in my hip sockets and I couldn't even walk. And I was rushed to the hospital and had double bilateral labian (laughs) tear surgeries. And, you know, then they were like, oh shit, you really you really are broken. So that was a few years it took for, you know, people to realize that I was injured. And so because I was so far gone in my injuries by then, there was no, you know, PT and running again and that kind of stuff. So my service quickly ended after that. And so because of the surgeries or prior to the surgeries, do you, do you get prescribed opiates? So after my car accident, going to medical, um, you know, pain management is a whole section in military hospitals that you get sent to. And I went to pain management and physical therapy and all of those kinds of things. And that was the start. I was given cortisone shots, you know, oh, you're just swelling, you know, your body hasn't, you know, been able to heal. So here's cortisone shots. So I was numb. And so then still running and PTing. Mm-hmm you know, two or three times a day, the way that Marines tend to work out, especially if you're a go-ho Marine and top-notch pt and that kind of stuff. And so, although I was numb, I was internally really damaging my, my insides on my tendons and bones and that kind of stuff. And so I was numb, but still doing a lot of damage. And, and so then when the cortisone shot would wear off, I would be in excruciating pain because 
my bones were, you know, fractured and severing tendons and stuff like that. And so then I'd get another cortisone shot and that was the cycle. And so pain management was a huge part of that. And um, I hope it's changing a little bit. You know, I've watched a few things in Congress and stuff about uh, military medical stuff, but um, that was the, you know, I'd walk out what I call on social media, my candy bag, my brown bag full of bottles. And, you know, once or twice a month, I'd go in and get a refill and continue that cycle. Um, and it was only to after I got out that I was able to um, cut all of that stuff down and have a, you know, crazy stories with that kind of stuff and detoxing on my own. I highly don't recommend it, but no. it was death either way. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to figure this out on my own and, you know, detoxed in the, the belly of a retired school bus. That's say, how. Yeah. <laughs> so you separate, what year do you separate? 2016. And it, by that time you're, you're full on into an, an addiction. Yeah. Full on. Are they, are they separating? Obviously it's, it's honorable discharge, but are you're not, you're not medically retired, are you? Be, or are I'm not you because medically you're retired. I'm medically separated, right. which is its whole own battle that I had to go through. Um, with leadership, they write a letter of recommendation and my leadership was not on my side. Um, and so they wrote, you know, velvet daggers. I don't know if they have that in the army, no. you know, writing pro cons, you know, writing, you know, nice words, but little gotcha. slips in, right, right, right. you know, kind of situation. The words, so right. Yep. So I was medically separated versus medically retired. Do you want to explain the difference? So medically separated is you get a disability rating only for the medical that you're being um, separated for. So for me, it was two hip surgeries um, and that only rated at 10%. Mm. And But if you're medically retired, you get your money that you've been making. So I was a sergeant, an E5. I would be making that money forever. Right. Um, but because I was only separated at 10%, that's, you know, 100 bucks a month. Right. Um, but then when you go through the VA system, that's a whole other, you know, kind of situation. So your military compensation for your disability and your VA compensation are two different ones. And they add together in that weird kind of math system. Um, so technically I'm 90% disabled. I'm going through the VA system to increase it, but that's seven years worth of time now I've been out that I've been fighting for that last, it's not little, it's only 10%, but that 10% increase is a plethora of benefits that would you know, I've done my time, I'm retired, I'm doing my thing, but for my kids would be really helpful for them to have those benefits um, and to use them, whether it's college or, right. you know, just being able to pay the mortgage properly, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things that would really help. Um, so that last 10%, they hold on for dear life, but the oh. VA system is a whole thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we could do a couple of episodes on what the VA does to veterans. So it's, it's a nightmare Absolutely. at times. I mean, I've heard, yeah, I've heard rumors know, seven years into the process, but there's still Vietnam veterans yeah. that are still fighting for, thank goodness for the PACT Act and those kinds of things. That's 
slowed my process down a little bit with the PACT Act going on. Um, but those men deserve, you know, their right in court and their right to their benefits and all of that. So I'll, I'll hold on for a little longer for them to be able to get what they deserve. So you find yourself out, you find yourself with the, with the beginning, just a 10% rating for a disability medically separated. And you find yourself with a, with a, a pain pill addiction. Yes. So how long does that go on? How long do you, do you stay in, in with before you say, all right, I need to clean up. So it was probably a good year and a half after I got out. I, um, you know, in addiction is very selfish. So anybody that could possibly say, I think you have a problem or, you know, my kids are suffering or this or that. Nobody could tell me I had a problem. It's fine. It's prescribed like I'm doing it right. just fine. Um, but one morning my son, um, had said, mom, could I not be late for school today? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, you're never late. But honestly, he was late every single day because I was sleeping in or, you know, couldn't wake up or anything. But come to find out, every day he was late, he was missing breakfast. Oh. And so he had to wait for lunch. And that conversation was my click. Everybody has that aha moment um, to get them out of whatever space they're in. And that conversation with my son, he was six. Um, now he's 12. Um, that conversation was my time to go to the doctor and say, I, I need some help. I'm, I'm in it <laughs> pretty thick. So you go to the doc and, and what, what does he or she say? So I go to the VA and the VA, the type of medication that I was on, they were like, you're on it forever. I mean, you look up any of these medications, highly addictive, you know, very hard to cut, you know, those kinds of things. Those are the types of medications I was on. And they said, you're on it forever. You know, the whether your heart stops because you're take, not taking these medicines or, you know, whatever, um, they just weren't able or willing to uh, help. And so... I said, I'm going to die whether taking these medicines or detoxing. And so every time I had a prescription to renew, I just didn't go and fill it up. And I did one medication at a time. And I was on lithium for bipolar disorder. And I wasn't bipolar. I had a traumatic brain injury, come to find out. Lithium's um, not going to do anything. And lithium, lithium was the hardest. That was yeah. the one that I kicked last. And that was that almost got me. Um, but I survived, thank goodness. And um, I did it. Uh, if you know my story, you're soon going to hear my story. I bought an old school bus off of Facebook Marketplace. And in the middle of that uh, demolition, I detoxed. And so every day sweating it profusely and going through those tremors and stuff, I gutted a school bus and turned it into a tiny house. Who was around when you're detoxing self-detoxing who was who was around you just kids I was going through art school um yeah I'm I'm divorced I've been divorced since my son was two and my daughter um was five so you know it was just me and a few friends that may have known but didn't really you know I'm in college nobody really knows what's going on I was a part of the veteran center at my college and so you know, people, those are the people that would be like, I think you have a problem. You know what I mean? Um, 
But the whole detoxing process, I didn't tell anybody. None of my family knew. You know, it was very, uh, I was ashamed of what I had done and right. how I got there. So I did it all alone. Yeah, it's, it, you say you're ashamed, but I, it's no fault of your own. And now, you know, that I'm so far out of that mindset, I understand. But, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the guilt and the shame that I felt of what I put my children through, I'll never get over that. But I logically know that it wasn't my fault, you know, but, you know, you hold on to those things forever. Yeah, you definitely do. And, and I mean... It's such a built-in, of course, I'm going to use the word I, I probably overuse on the show, as a built-in stigma because it's so easy to fall into the into that addiction. Especially when you have Absolutely. a doctor telling you, no, this is what you need. And you're you just, okay, doc. I mean, you're the professional. So I, I, I'll take what you yeah. tell me to take. Exactly. And, you know, like I started out taking them the way that the pill bottle said, you know, one mm-hmm. a day for pain, one one a day for anxiety, one a day for nightmares, one a day, you know, like I took them exactly as they were prescribed based off the symptoms that I was having. And then, you know, you're you're getting used to it. So you're self-regulating. And then instead of one pill a day, you're cutting one in half mm-hmm. and then you're going back and, you know, that kind of, you know, that very little and slowly you're kind of getting more and more and more. And, you know, when they're giving you a bottle for, you know, an entire month and you're going through them in, you know, a week, (laughs) there's obviously a a problem, but then you go back and they give you even more, you know? Yeah. That's what I was going to ask about. I mean, you're, you're, you're going back with. The system is getting better, but, but, it was, um, th- there was no questions being asked. Right. I would go in early or make early appointments and say, you know, I have, you know, two weeks left, but, you know, I'm busy. I'm a single mom with kids. Can you fill my prescription early? Those kinds of things. And there was no question. That- so there were no questions asked by the VA and they, they just, they just turned a blind eye they and filled your prescriptions. Free- and, and I know from some, from brief military experience that you do walk out with, with huge amounts of drugs when, when, when they there think it's necessary. Someone, there was a video someone shared with me uh, recently. It was a woman veteran, and she's talking to Congress, and she just picks up her purse and starts stacking mm. bottles on right. the counter, talking to Congress and being like, I'm a nurse, and this one is for this. And this one is for this. And, and because I'm educated, I know if I take this medication with this medication, this is going to happen. I'm going to have a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. But they're not, I'm not a nurse. I'm no. an artist. Right. At the stem of, you know what I mean? So if they say, take this and this and this. Just do it. At the same time, I'm going to take them and come to their research and Let's be honest, veterans are like the first guinea pigs for a lot of these medications and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, you know, that's how this kind of kind of spirals out of control. It's like the VA is a is a is a pill mill. You know, just not asking I questions. I can guarantee. I don't. I haven't read a lot about it, but I can guarantee the pharmaceutical companies have some kind of grip and holds. Right. You know, try this medicine, or we'll give you this medicine for a discount or whatever, and you know. I'm a penny pincher too, but 
There's certain things that I'm not going to be penny pinching on and medication is one of those. So you decide to, to self detox and you do it in your bus. You're, yeah. you're renovating. What the fuck is that like? <laughs> very hot days, very sweaty, very, you know, what you would think a detox is. That's what I was doing, whether it was at home or I was going through art school. Um, which also really helped with the realization of, you know, this new life that I needed to um, create for myself. That's talking to one of the professors was how I got into the veteran art making, you know, kind of thing. And um, my thesis was, you know, like, you see a lot of art stuff and you're like, what is that? Or why is that sculpture? That's such a waste of money or what even is that thing? And so I wanted to make art that was usable and had a purpose. And so I was making cups and bowls and furniture for my apartment and that kind of stuff. And I needed a home for my children. And so I bought a school bus and was building this home. And so the detox process was just a lot of that mental health recovery stuff that I was doing on my own and in art school and talking to professors and making and creating was that natural holistic um, mental health recovery that I needed. Um, and so all of those kind of things kind of wrapped all together. And in, in this school bus is where I got clean and was able to um, kind of move on eventually from that. How, in, in totality, how long did it take? Um, it was probably a good six months of like the shakes kind of simmering down and the constant thinking about like, man, I, if I wanted to, I could just and refill everything because they didn't know, you know, that I had this thing. I mean, it's been seven years and I've just recently started to go back to the VA. And they see all the prescriptions I was on. And the lady was so willing to refill them all. Yeah. And I'm like, lady, I haven't taken these drugs in seven years. And you're going to give me all of this again at the same dosage that I was at the peak of my addiction. Like, okay, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> how, like, how easy I it would be. have the, uh, the voice and to be able to be like, no, that's not for me, you know. But at the time, I so quickly could be able to just walk back in. And that was the hardest part, that it was right there. And mm -hmm. I had to gain the self-control to be able to say, no, that's, you know, if I do that, I'm going to die. And that was just kept playing in my head. The alternative for my kids and where they would go, that kept me uh, clean, really. I, you have to you know, pick something, yeah. you know, that's why a lot of veterans are now getting service dogs. They're not going to kill themselves because they have to take care of this animal. And that kind of replacement of I'm not taking care of myself. I need to take care of other people. Naturally, mamas have that kind of built in. And I had to just keep replaying that in my head to stay clean. So tell me about that first bus. <laughs> so I bought a 1997 Bluebird All-American from Tom's River East High School in New Jersey. In New Jersey, for yeah. $5,000. <laughs> my only, I didn't have much of a savings and that was all of my money. But I, I was, you know, taking a gamble on this 
life that I had been dreaming about and this freedom and this, you know, adventure that I wanted to show my children because all they knew was scary sergeant mom that would come home that was a drug addict and angry and I had no husband to take it out on. So, of course, these two little souls were, you know, the the punching bags for that. So I bought this school bus and gutted it out and started documenting on social media just for my own, you know, with drug addiction and that kind of stuff, memories get blurry and like, how did that work or what happened or what steps were I doing? And so I just started kind of taking my skills from being a combat cameraman and documenting it on social media. And so I just have hours and hours and hours of footage of me trial and error, learning tools and, you know, watching YouTube videos on how to even build a home in a school bus and that kind of stuff. And and focusing more on the learning and growing and the end product really kept me grounded and being able to stay clean. Well, you really have two documentaries. I mean, you have the bus build and you have a detox on, on camera. Oh, yeah. I If I pull up some of that old footage, I I don't recognize myself. You know, like I'm like, that's not me. But it it was me. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. I can see it in my eyes. There's no soul there. You know, I can see it in how pale my skin was or how broken out I was, you know, and those kinds of things. And I'm like, I cannot believe that was me, but it was, you know. So how long does it take you to, to fully do the bus? So the first bus I built for two years and it wasn't even completed. Built it up to be safe and able and running for my kids. Mm-hmm. And I drove away in the school bus, meaning to come back to art school. But COVID hit and I started driving around the country and, and never came back. <laughs> yeah. So that journey is, is, is documented on your website and through social, yeah. through your social media. And, and what was the purpose of driving around the country? You'll get this like, you know, military dark humor kind of thing. You know, in the very beginning, the first couple of weeks of COVID, everybody is scared and mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen? And the earth is about to explode kind of mentality. And I was like, well, if we're all fucking dying, I'm having fun. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't just spend two years of my life building this thing for me to just poof into smoke and like, we all die. So we started driving around the country. Everybody was like, stay at home, stay away from people. So we were in the belly of national parks, far away. We were out in nature and hiking and, you know, um, going to aquariums and there's nobody there. And so we're just getting the, you know, the million dollar tour of these, you know, uh, establishments because they need the money and they're bored. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that was our beginning journey was just, not dealing with people at all these really people-infested places and being able to really soak it in and and get that clarity and really focus on what's important and, you know, those kinds of things. And and being able to, you know, I, I traveled all around the world, you know, defending our country and, you know, telling the stories of our country, but I had never actually explored our country. And so that was a way for me to, you know, go to all these places I saw on National Geographics and tag belong to kids that were learning about it in school. And 
reading about it in textbooks and then being able to go and actually show them the places that they're learning about. Not only do you get to do it, but you get to do it as in, in, in a private theater, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Like when now, if you go to, I don't know, say Yellowstone, there's 10,000 freaking right. cars and, you know, all of your photos are just packed with cars and you barely see bison or, you know, you're definitely not going to see the fox, uh, the wolves, um, you know, there. But when we were there, we got to see those things without other people kind of interfering with nature. And there's no way to, you know, replicate that. So how does that trip start to transform into your, what you're doing now with the traveling studio and the nonprofit? Right. So when I was in art school, <clears throat> I took a class and it was pretty much using your art skill and giving back to the community. So a lot of people, like a lot of the young students were painting murals or, you know, painting this or that, or, you know, donating their time here and there. And none of that really clicked with me. You know, I'm like, I'm not a painter. Why would I paint murals? And I'm not this, you know, my, my BFA was in sculpture and ceramics with a concentration metal fabrication. Like, there's not much in town that I could do whether or not, you know, that was at a museum or something. And so I talked to my professor and she said, well, where is your community? And I said, veterans, that's my community. You know, I'm, you know, in class for this hour. And then as soon as I'm done with class, I go to the veterans center and, de you know, decompress and chit chat with veterans. And then I go to class and then I go back to the veterans center. And so we found a, a place called the Servant Center in Greensboro, North Carolina, that is a homeless shelter specifically for veterans, and it's a treatment facility. And so I started volunteering there and then, you know, painting walls and, you know, pulling up carpet and, you know, those kinds of things and eventually started teaching art classes there. And those guys really inspired me to take this on the road and be able to provide what I was providing them in a very brief meeting um, and be able to do that across the country. So how do you do it? I mean, you've said <laughs> you spent your, your last 5,000 on a bus and then you spent two years renovating. So how, how the hell do you do it? Um, so I was in college and we lived very frugally and obviously college is paid for my rent was paid for with the BAH, but I was also receiving Pell grants. And so I built the entire bus on Pell Grants and ate a lot of ramen, didn't eat out, and had a part-time job in a butchery um, and just pieced together all of this money. And eventually when you, you know, people start catching wind of what you're doing, they want to help and they hear your story and they're inspired. And so a lot of it started on donation and really using the Pell Grants to kind of fund the big projects. So how many states did you hit? We have done 40 states in the last four years. And now we're here at our home base in Georgia. And are you, are you planning to travel more or are you, or are you just because of school and everything for the kids, you, you've kind of delayed it? Yeah. So unfortunately for me, as just a human being, my kids after a few years were like, can we go back to regular school? Yeah. And like all mamas, we sacrifice our dreams and our hopes and everything for our babies. And so I bought an A-frame here in the North Georgia um, woods and 
I'm going to be trying to convert this to what the Painted Buffalo message is and have veterans come, drop their pack, tell their stories, and be able to create in a more, you know, um, a bigger space, but hopefully have more impact. The the bus definitely has an impact because it's, you know, it's quirky and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, I talk about the bus and then I say, okay, how's your mental health? Right. Tell me some stories. And we kind of, that's the like starting conversation. Um, and then it kind of expands. And so now that I've had the platform and be able to tell my story across the nation, I want to have a place for people now to be able to come and get out of the world that they're creating in their little bubble. You know, veterans tend to stay home and hide and oh, don't yeah. go out into town. But this forces you to come here and kind of get out of that element. Fill your toolbox with the skills that you learn here and then be able to take them home with you. And so that's the that's always been the big picture of the Painted Buffalo is to have a homestead retreat, artist retreat space. And it came a little earlier than I was planning, but yeah, we're right on track the way the universe is uh, saying. So that's what we're trying to do. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Here now. So as I go through your website, and and I've done it a few times, the thing that jumps out at me is the the Veteran Served page, where you're talking about where you've been, who you've spoken to. And it says 1,200 veteran interactions. What What do you, when you say an interaction, what do you mean by an interaction? So whether it's actually going to a veteran because they've contacted me online and I now obviously I'm home base and so we're not traveling. But what I would do is put on my website, this is the path my family and I are traveling. If you happen to be in any of these locations, please contact me so we can have a meetup. Or if you, you know, a lot of coffee shops or art studios would contact me and say, I'd love to have a veteran night. Could you come and talk and those kinds of things. And so I just planted those all around the country. Um, but veterans are solo beings, you know, they're team mentality, squad mentality. But when you're in civilian life, you're kind of alone. And so there's many times that I've stopped in at people's homes or they say, I can't leave my house. I'm like, that's okay. My house can come into your driveway. All you have to do is walk across your yard and they would come into the bus. We'd hang out and you could just see the weight being lifted off of their shoulders. And majority of the time we, you know, I would know they were in the army or the Marine Corps or the Navy or whatever but I didn't know what they did as a job. I didn't know what they saw, you know, those kinds of things. But just when you say, hey, I'm a veteran, you're a veteran, your instant brotherhood is connected for life. And that is, you know, kind of the stepping stones that I'm just trying to start, whether it's, you know, in your community or on social media um, or, you know, eventually in this, you know, community space. This might sound like a, a simple question, but, but I think it's more involved than what, what it sounds. What does art do for them? 
I think it's a space where you can tell your story and let other people see it, or you can just keep it for yourself. You know, you'll, if you go through a lot of my social media, you won't really see people will be like, well, what kind of art do you make? And I'm making art and drawing and telling my story in a, you know, in what people would call a diary. Nobody's reading your diary except you. And you're kind of just vomiting all of this poison out, what you're holding onto into these pages. And that's what I'm saying is you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to show your artwork to anyone. It's just for you to get it out of your soul and your brain and kind of put it, burn it, throw it in the campfire after we have a hangout and let it go and let it be, you know, kind of mentality. But if you do want to, you know, take that artwork and use it, whether it's pottery and opening up a pottery store or selling your paintings online and and having a, a job, um, then you can do that as well. I have on Instagram a highlight reel on there. Um, and it's all veteran artists that I have found across the country and being able to connect and tell your stories that way. And, and all of them are making a living off of creating and making. Um, but it's, you know, like, have you ever, like, if you have kids, you sit there and color with them. And by the time you're done, it's been three hours and you're like, what just happened? That is the mindfulness you're, you're disconnecting from all of the craziness that's happening in your brain and you're focusing on coloring and these little teeny tiny spots are just connection with your children. That is the mindfulness that I'm trying to get other veterans to connect with um, on, you know, their own level and whatever creation they find fit. Not everybody's, I'm not a painter. I really don't like to paint, but I like to work with my hands and I like to build the buses and I like to fabricate with metal and all of the and all of that maker space type stuff is all art. And that makes you an artist to me. So let's talk about your paint can project. What, yeah. What's the, I understand the purpose. I think it's the purpose is exactly what you just spoke about. But how are you doing that with a paint can project? So while we were in the bus, I had hundreds of ammo cans donated over time. And people would come visit me at festivals and that kind of stuff and bring ammo cans. And so what I was doing was filling them with art supplies. And then eventually I've started to work with other companies to add stuff, whether water bottles or soldier socks. Every pink can I create soldier socks, puts a pair of socks in there for a veteran, which is incredible. Um, Berkey water bottles. Every ammo can has a Berkey water bottle. You know, things that are veteran friendly and veterans like. We all like T-shirts. We yeah. all like cool caps. We all, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then the only gig is whatever is in your ammo can. Tell me a story. It doesn't have to be a military story. It doesn't have to be a bad story. Just tell me a story with the art supplies that are in there. Um, and so then I was just getting, you know, all of this, you know, footage and stuff like that of veterans creating. And, you know, they're like, I'm not a, you know, painter or whatever. And so I would send them a coloring book for them and their kids. And then they would just sit there and color with their kid. And they're like, this is the first time that I've had a conversation with my kid in a month, you know, and I'm like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, especially dads and the connection, right. veteran dads. I've heard a lot of stuff, you know, about connecting with your children, especially, you know, when you're um, serve in the service and stuff like that. And you're taken away from your families. I'm trying to, you know, 
put families back together. And a lot of um, veteran outreach programs, the veteran gets to go and do the fun thing, whether it's camping or hiking or fishing or whatever. And for me, I want all of your friends and all of your family to come and hang out because we're building a community and your own personal community um, is what we're trying to grow, you know, out there and kind of fill that ammo can and that, um, you know, personal care package specifically for you. So when you say, you say it, it, a veteran can get a pain can, is there a, are there qualifications as a veteran or just anybody that's a veteran? Any so, veteran. Okay. And, you know, a lot of them, you, you'll find, you know, combat veteran or this, or, you know, there's all these segregations or you have to have an honorable discharge or this or that. If, if you are in the military and you have a very brief conversation with somebody, you know, if they're lying or not, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, you know what I mean? And so very quickly I have a conversation with somebody. And if, the, if I'm like, they're a veteran, they, they qualify. There's no discrimination, whether, you know, because I have a lot of gay friends and gay allies and they got kicked out of the military and got a dishonorable discharge, but they didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? There's, oh, yeah. there's so many reasons. And a lot of veterans are getting kicked out for being drug addicts. Well, how did they become drug addicts? Exactly. You know what I mean? Right. So even that stigma of a dishonorable discharge, um, I just don't want to hold any light to it. And so anybody that served their country, whether it was a year or 20 years, I want to be able to give them a space to tell their story. It's, you say that I, you kind of said dishonorable discharge, and it's kind of interesting because what created that dishonorable discharge in the first place? And could it be underlying issues exactly. that you can take care of through this anyway? So why would you ignore that? Exactly. And, you know, like there's some veterans getting kicked down for fighting, doing whatever. And I understand, but the majority of veterans, when you really talk to them and get like, why did you get a dishonorable discharge? A lot of it stems from mental health issues, drug addiction. And, you know, let's be honest. A lot of us don't join the Marine Corps because we have this picture perfect family that we're, <laughs> you know, running away from. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So there's underlying issues of why we joined and served our country for whatever reason. So you know, and that's the same as, you know, you see a lot of these programs, you know, if you're in prison or you're a felon, you can't get a job forever. And that's so fucking insane to me. It really makes no you know, sense, does it? So it doesn't make any sense to me. And I understand there's a lot of things that you can't be rehabilitated from. I am on board with that. But, you know, if somebody's coming to you and they say, I need help, that's the hardest fucking thing to admit, oh, you yeah. know, get out of the denial. And if they're willing to have that bravery to say, I need help, then I'm going to do everything I can to help them. So for, for any veteran listening, um, how do they go about contacting you about the paint can if they want to do a project? Yeah. So now that we're here at the home base, I'm now being able to reach more people people because of the mailing system in a school bus we don't have a mailbox it's yeah. hard to kind of you can't really ship ammo cans it's a whole thing um so i'm now yeah that's a little fishy wood. it's a little <laughs> fishy um and they pop with the you know air regulation and that kind of stuff i got, had that issue in the bus a lot of like it sounded like bombs going off but it was just the ammo cans decompressing um and so now i'm starting to mail them out and so 
if you want to receive a paint can project box, um, you just contact me, any social media. If you email me, if you send me a message, a DM, any way, call my phone number. It's just me. I'm a one man band. Um, and so I'll be able to hook you up with a paint can and be able to, you know, start this journey. It's it's interesting. You, I'm going to go back because you said the veterans are very solo people and it's hard to get them to leave home unless, you know, but they're very team oriented as well. And I think that that relates very well to, to first responders as well. I mean, it, we yes. kind of like, I think with the veterans, it, you, you go through this, especially if you're a combat veteran, you go through this experience where nobody else on that street is going to relate to what you're doing or what you've seen or, exactly. what or what might come out of your mouth by accident. And it's the same thing with some right. first responders as well. It's, you don't relate to what somebody has seen. You don't relate to whatever fire or CPR or, or dead person or whatever. You just don't relate to it. And so they're right. afraid of what they're going to slip up and say, or you've learned your lesson not to say anything in front of people because you just, sometimes it, the dark humor you reference, it just slips out because it's second nature. Yeah. And so I think it's very interesting. The, the or, similarities. you know, like I went from the Marine Quarter to art school and then in the schooly community. And although I've connected now with a lot of nomad veterans, I'll say an inappropriate sexual joke and you could just see their face like, yes. what the fuck? You know, right. like they just, you know, and I'm like, I'm kidding. Like, right. oh no, I'm so sorry. You're Did all right. You up? No, okay. you're fine. I just paused the recording here. Well, I'll just start it again okay. real quick. Resume recording. Recording in progress. There you go. Sorry. No, you're fine. All right, we're back. <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of expected that something like that would happen. So it's not a big yeah, deal. For sure. Yeah. And editing is wonderful, as you well know. Yes. So it looks like you, you don't make mistakes, but I make a ton of mistakes. Oh, I so, make them. I, that's the big thing with my kids. They're like, oh, I messed up. or they, I'm like, dude, I'm 37 and I buck up to, today. I fuck, you know, I, you know, whatever. Like, don't even fret. You're 12 and 15. You got, you, you've got time. Fine. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, where did we drop off at? I, I, I forgot what. Um, mailing paint can project, um, boxes. So my goal is to be able to now reach more veterans and, um, because, you know, traveling my school bus, I only am going to certain places, certain towns and physically being able to give, uh, paint can project cans to people that I actually get to meet those 1200 veterans that I right. was able to meet across the country. And this way I'm able to, even if we're not physically able to meet, whether it's on Zoom or having a little get together like this or starting a little community, you know, group chat or whatever, and then being able to send Paint Can Project boxes out to veterans for them to join this, you know, community that we've got going on. That's my goal is to be able to reach as many veterans that want to you know, join in on this initiative that we have going on. So you, you bought an A-frame in, in North Georgia, yes. you said, and, and is that a project as well for you? It's for sure a major project. So it was a one bedroom, one bathroom log cabin, as you can see, you know, here, that's what my entire right. cabin looks like is orange like this. <laughs> Um, and so I've started, you know, if you look on social media, I'm starting to document, um, you know, painting the A-frame and now we're homesteading and kind of learning and growing um, in that aspect. And that's what I want to kind of, you know, give light. You know, when people, I meet a lot of people 
and especially veterans, they're like, I'm not an artist. And I'm like, if you're making something or using your brain and your hands at the same time, which is a thing that a skill that you're constantly doing in the military, or if you're a first responder, you know, you're very quickly thinking and then action oriented, those kinds of things is what um, I'm trying to kind of cultivate, whether it's making and playing with clay or painting or, you know, building what I call the duck condo here. Building the property, you know, those kinds of things, making and creating and being an artist is the definition is endless and whatever you're, you know, wanting to do, you can do it. I've now started this whole builder of a life worth living kind of mentality. And that's what we're, we're trying to kind of instill in people now and also, you know, keep it the the original theme of the pink cane project and all of that. And you mentioned, so you're not, you're not, you're not traveling with the bus and you're not going to people, but you want them to come to you now. As, and, and so how are you going to set that up on your property? What will that look like? Will it look like, um, like how much space are you thinking that you would have for people? So I have six acres and there's 60 acres next door that I would really, 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 really love to invest in. Um, and I'm literally, it's all woods. So it's all open. The 60 acres next door, a gen- one gentleman owns it and he's never built anything on it. And so I, he's also a veteran, an airborne guy. Um, and we're in discussion about how I can acquire or slowly buy or buy in pieces that land over there. And I'll be able to set up, um, whether it's bell tents or tiny homes or anything like that for veterans to come and hang out and bring their family and create this commune of dysfunctional folks, you know, kind of hang out and get back to that route that we find, you know, in the military. A lot of, you know, smoke pit chronicles, everybody's just hanging out, talking Mm -hmm. about the shit that they just went through at the smoke pit. You know, for us, it would be a campfire or, you know, uh, two man tents, you know, and kind of embracing the suck of wherever you're, you know, miserable, whatever. That would be, you know, tiny houses here and kind of, you know, using the military kind of like themes and language and kind of, you know, bring back some memories. But, you know, like the military, a lot of people ask, oh, how was the Marine Corps? I'm like, it was really shitty and really amazing all in the same sentence. And, you know, that's what we're kind of trying to, you know, build here. It's a lot of hard work, but it's also really fun. <laughs> so you've got that. Are you still working on buses? I have a yellow school bus sitting mm-hmm. in my workshop right now. <laughs> what, what's your plan with that? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Financially, it's not available to build it out for me. I would really love to it's my friends and he bought an extra school bus. It must be nice to be able just to just an extra buy one. a school bus and be like, oh shit, I don't have time for this. So it's been sitting here and I said, well, if it's sitting in my workshop, I'm going to tinker around. So I've gutted the whole thing. I've added a few, you know, things here and there. Um, and I would love to um, make it a traveling studio to be able to do weekend warrior type stuff or go to events or you know, like in, in big cities, we have, you know, like the silky hikes and, you know, those kinds of events. It would be really fun to 
dip into those, but financially I'm just not able to. Um, and I could possibly build it out for a veteran, you know, simplistic or a, as elaborate as you want. Um, I've had a few offers, um, but a few fell through. So there's, it's an open ended, just like everything, you know, Semper and Gumby, here we are, you know, just kind of getting through everything. What's the average cost to build a bus? It depends on how much you want to spend, really. Um, the basic bus, you mean, just like buying a school bus. Now that it's become it's a like a thing, yeah. bus prices are slowly going up. But, um, you know, a basic regular school bus is five to ten grand. Um, and that's cheaper than a, a lot of, you know, you'll see van life sprinters. They're starting at 80. Right. Just a blank slate of a, a sprinter van is starting at 80. So five to 10 first bus and it's bigger and you're way more safe, you know, than an RV kind of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's benefits that come with the cost. So if you, if and then it's whatever you want to invest into the motor home type stuff. So. My first bus, I, you know, spent $15,000 and it was me, two kids and two dogs and a cat. And, um, you know, we lived the same life that the $100,000 RVs and buses, you know, we were living the same life in our $15,000 bus, where the second one was all the mistakes. I kind of fixed them in the second bus and added, you know, a lot more. My solar system to be off grid cost as much in the second bus as my entire first bus. That's, so, you know, there's, right. there's a play that you can, you can go redneck to bougie, you know, what? Right. like you can go as fancy and elaborate or cheap as you want, but cheap doesn't mean that it's not functional and pretty. You can, um, it's just kind of what you have available for you. So you think back on the, the, the years that you traveled in the bus with the family and you're going to veterans and you're, you're meeting with people, um, what was, can you narrow it down to maybe what's your most impactful moment of that time? In the most impactful was just like seeing my kids see me not becoming soft because I'm still the Meridian core mama, but being able to laugh and chit chat and like conversate on things that you know are interesting to them where back then I was just like I don't give a shit about that who cares you're playing makeup and watching you like that's not fun for me but I'm now able to like sit and watch all these YouTube videos about you know costume makeup and stuff with my daughter or you know look at rocks and dinosaurs and go fishing with my son because those are things that are important to him but back then when I was you know, in that mindset, unless it was a mission and here's the plan and here's the steps and here's the logistics, I couldn't like get open my blinders outside of, you know, and just fucking chill, <laughs> like, right. just sit down and stay still and just hang out. I wasn't able to do that. And so, you know, living vicariously through the adventures my kids got to do or whatever kind of lightened my load. And, and really I was able to focus on the things that actually mattered and the things that actually mattered were them bottom line um and so being able to kind of inspire other veterans to kind of let go and let loose a little bit you know but also have you know determination and 
and you know a little uh you know uh, all of those things you get from that service you know i don't want to let go of my stubbornness and my hard working and my worth eth- work ethic and all of those kinds of things but also like i'm here all day like i could i could chill for a second yeah you know at the same time taking a moment just to breathe mm-hmm. so what about the podcast are you doing is, is that still active or what's the deal there so uh, before I started traveling, I was recording a podcast and I was just speaking to veteran artists. And although there's a lot of us, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of us. And so I, I now began kind of talking to people that are just building, like builder of a life worth living and kind of stepping outside of that mold in that box and being able to, you know, live this life that we all you know I get tons of messages you're living my dream life or you're so inspiring I wish I could do that and being able to talk to people that have made that leap of faith and they've come out on the other side and just show that people can do that you know I came from I literally was six feet under digging my own grave and here I am a homeowner and have my farm animals and living deep in the woods just like I like alone you know, and also my kids are thriving. And from where we came from is, you know, where a lot of people kind of find me on the internet. And I want them to see that they can, you know, do it too. So whether it's builders of, you know, this cool life or schoolies or tiny houses or homesteads or all of those kinds of things, just want to, you know, talk to people and hear their inspiring stories. Because when I hear those stories, it also keeps me going as well. Because you know, I've gotten a little burnt down on the road and traveling full time and, you know, taking breaks and here and there. Um, and then I talk to a few people and then I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to do it again. You know, so having those conversations to be able to, you know, keep myself going and hopefully inspire others to keep going as well. Do you have any plans to travel even like during the summers when the kids are on a break or anything? I hope so. But um, house ownership is a lot more it, expensive it than is. bus life. It is. <laughs> And so I am in search of a job and those kinds of things. And that's a thing I'm talking about on the internet right now is transitioning out in the military and finding a job is kind of difficult. You know, people are like, well, just go and apply to Home Depot. Motherfucker, I applied to Home Depot a hundred damn times and I can't pass the personality test. You know, like that's just a thing that is people aren't really talking about or go work at McDonald's. Sure. But they know I'm 37 years old and have a brain and they're trying to hire, you know, 16 year old kids that you can boss around. It's just not, you know, a thing that um, is an easy, especially when, you know, I've taken a seven year hiatus from a full time job, you know what I mean? And so that breach of, you know, resume time and, you know, I have the non-profit and I did here and there jobs and that kind of stuff. But the job market is <laughs> slim and far between when you, you know, are looking. You know, when I wasn't looking, it was everywhere. And now I'm looking and I'm like, shit. And I had a conversation this morning with a female veteran and she's just graduated college off her GI Bill. And she's like, I can't find a job. I'm like, girl, I'm right there with you, man. So, you know, that networking and here, this is what I want to do. Here's my resume and kind of 
figuring that kind of stuff out. So once I get a, a job and able to kind of build this kind of place and, you know, um, I, I do want to travel and still continue. And my kids are now of age where they're asking about going to foreign countries and that okay. kind of stuff, which is, would be incredible. I want them to experience everything I could possibly provide and I'll do everything I can to provide it. So whatever it is, getting my kids to overseas and, you know, maybe showing them they're very fucking privileged. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Even though and complaining because we have no internet here at the cabin and they're like, my phone doesn't work. I'm like, oh yeah, you want to try that? Let's <laughs> go to some of these places I've been. You'll be thankful, you know? And then, you know, my daughter's very into big cities and wants to go to the Eiffel Tower and all these places that she's seen me go to and stuff like that. And I just want to provide everything I possibly can for them. So, you know, when money allows and time and, and, uh, you know, one step at a time with that kind of stuff. So before we wrap up, let's talk about, I know we've kind of talked about it as we've gone. What are, what are your, maybe some immediate goals and, and some long range goals. And I know that property there is, is, is a huge one, but what else is on, on the agenda for you? Yeah. I mean, getting my kids graduated high school <laughs> is a big, you know, my daughter is in 10th grade and she's now in kind of college. She's a very plan. She's had her whole life planned out since she was five. You know, she knows exactly what she wants to do. So getting her into college and traveling and that kind of stuff. And my son, I took him up to Alaska and that was the first time he realized he could get paid for fishing. So now that's his life goal. <laughs> Great. The only job you know, like more it. dangerous than firefighting, basically. <laughs> exactly. And he's the, he's like me, you know, like heck with school. Let's go to trade, find a job that way. Kind of, you know, think outside of the box where my daughter is like, I have to get a degree. I have to get a piece of paper. I have to get the sky rise apartment in New York city. I have to go to fashion school, you know, like all of those like huge things, which I'm, working my tail off to get her there and she's working her tail off to get there as well, you know? Um, so just getting them, you know, out of the coop and then I'll have more money to travel. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and to reach more people. Um, but that's the main goal is to get them established as good, productive human beings in the world. You know, that's the goal for all parents is you don't want to raise an asshole, right. Or, you know, somebody with good work ethic and get them out into the world and established. And then, you know, this home base here and, you know, what the, you were talking about, do you want to travel? It would be really awesome, but we also have a zoo of animals here. And so, you know, leaving the property is, you know, tends to be a little difficult, but I love it. I sit every morning outside with my ducks and talk to my goats and hang with my dogs and cats. And, you know, that's, that's my peace, you know, finding that ability to sit still and find um, peace in those quiet moments is really hard for me. So that's my my goal. My personal goal right now is to be able to sit still and not have a project and not lose my mind. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that peace in the quiet moments, because I think that that's a that's a similarity as well between first responders and, and veterans is that finding peace in those in those quiet moments and allowing yourself to have the quiet moments without trying to fill that time with something. Exactly. And it takes a good while, you know what I mean? Like 
um, you know, like I have a friend that is very into hiking out in the back country. And she was like, it takes me three days of hiking and just sitting before I'm like, you know, and that is the same with us. That was a good thing with the bus where, you know, where I'm like, I'm over this. I could turn on the bus and drive away. I'm a runner. You know what I mean? You, and this, with my roots dug in, I have this house and no ability to like leave. Yes, I can go to Home Depot and that kind of stuff, even though that's 45 minutes away because I'm so in the country. Um, this gives me like that time and space to be able to sit still and be okay with not having all of this crazy stuff. And then when I get over those three days of just like craziness, that's where I'm able to focus and sit down and um, write a blog or, you know, create content and really discuss with social media, you know, what I'm going through. And if I'm going through it, I know other people are too. And that's what you find on social media. If I'm posting about it, it's what I'm, you know, trying to work through in my own brain and hopefully with helping other people, you know, and connecting with other like-minded people. I know I'm not alone and other people will find that they're not alone either. So you mentioned the blog and social media. Give us your, give us your addresses and give us, you know, the, whatever, wherever we can find you. Yeah. So com is my website. If you just go there, that's the hub of Perfect. everywhere. That's easy. Um, but on social media um, is the Painted Buffalo. You, if you type that into Google or Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, everywhere. Um, you'll be able to find me on on social media there at the Painted Buffalo. And I, I always like to wrap up with two two last questions. And, and the first one is, it, this kind of relates well to how you started because you said you, you had uncles that were in Vietnam. And I, the title of this show is based off of a, a novel about Vietnam. So it kind of ties in pretty well. Um, I like to ask people about an everyday carry, something that you're going to carry with you that you feel naked without. Yeah, I don't like, well, people always comment because I always have sunglasses on my head and it's really just to keep the hair out of my face. But I say it's so I always have safety goggles. <laughs> um, that's just a thing that I just I can't I cannot leave the house without my sunglasses. And why is that the thing? I have I haven't unpacked it yet, but that's the thing, whether it's the cover, you know, from the military right. or, you know, that's just my, you know. You're ready, locked and loaded. Right. I just always put on my sunglasses. Okay, cool. I mean, that worked for me. What about a book? So bizarre, but that's is, true. Is there a book that, you, that you've read lately or read in the past that, that you think is impactful and, and, and can bring some value to, to listeners? Yeah, I, I am not an avid reader, but I have gotten really into audible books. Mm -hmm. And there's a book called The American Bison. His first name's Steven and some last name that I cannot remember right now. But it's his trek on a true, like, bison are stagnant animals. Like, you shoot them and they fall over. They're like cows. They're not going to run away. But he did an authentic bison hunt through the Snake River and weaved throughout this adventure. He told the history of the American bison. And everybody always asks, why buffaloes? Those are my favorite animals. And I really stem a lot with the American history with bison and how they used and abused and discarded the bison. And that's how a lot of veterans feel about themselves. So The American Buffalo is an incredible book. And 
as a veteran, you'll be able to kind of pick out of the words of how American bison were treated and to really relate um, in your own story. I can guarantee it. Awesome. That uh, I had never heard of the book, so I'll check it out. It's really, it's really good on Audible. That's how I, because I'm always driving the school bus, I'm right. just listening to books. But he reads the book and it's, I mean, his voice is just amazing and how he, you know, emphasizes certain words, you know, probably how he wrote it, how he wanted, you know, when I read it, it's different than if you read the book, you're going to pick out. But how he speaks this book is just so beautiful. All right, we'll check it out. Is there any parting words you want to share with us? Any thoughts, Any anything you feel like we should have covered? Yeah, I just want to thank you for doing this and really creating this community and safe space for, you know, veterans and, and first responders to be able to come and chat. And I've listened to a ton of episodes now. No, oh, I appreciate um, it. And, you know, absolutely. And um, I think it's incredible what you guys are doing and those stories that you have shared so far are just incredible and continue to inspire me to to reach out and and help as much as i can well i tell you what if you have an idea of, of somebody who might want to come on and share please feel free to, to share my name or, or to uh kind of make a connection for us because i would love to get more veterans on that that aren't just fire related i, I kind of like to branch out <laughs> into other things so if you've got a couple of veterans that might be interested in telling their story i would love to talk to them Absolutely. I also have a schoolie friend who's a former firefighter, so maybe I'll connect yeah, with him definitely. as well. Yeah, I would love to They're talk. They're out there. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, well, go enjoy the rest of your day, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, take care. We'll talk to you later. We're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.